Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him? Episode 75, Justin Martyr's Dialogue with Trifo, Part 2. In episode 74, I said that Justin Martyr's famous book, Dialogue with Trifo, was based on a real conversation. That's probably true, but it's a little bit too oversimplified. And I think the remarks of a great 19th century scholar named Alvin Lamson about Justin's Dialogue with Trifo are spot on and deserve to be heard. He says the dialogue is, quote, a fictitious composition after the manner of Plato's dialogues. This species of writing in which imaginary personages are introduced and engaged in real discourse or argument appears to have been a favorite one with the ancients. Plato had adopted it with success, and the charms of his dialogues were universally felt and acknowledged. And Cicero and others employed it after him. It is not improbable that Justin, who, as we know, was a warm admirer of Plato, might have been influenced by his example to attempt a style of composition which possessed so many attractions. That this was actually the case, we think the pervading tone, in fact, the whole air and costume of the dialogue, if we may be allowed to so express ourselves, afford abundant evidence. We can never persuade ourselves that Justin's meek and supple Jew was a real personage. He is too patient of abuse and concedes too much to his antagonist. Nor, had he been a learned Jew, would he have allowed Justin's gross blunders in Hebrew chronology, history, and criticism to have passed without censure. That he might have held a dispute or disputes with the Jews is highly probable, for he was not accustomed to shrink from a trial of his strength in debate. And that the substance of one or more of these interviews may have been retained in the dialogue, or at least have furnished hints of which he made some use, is quite as probable. From these and other materials suggested by conversation and reading, the piece was no doubt made up. But the style and dress, the rhetorical embellishment, the whole form and structure are Justin's. Whether the dialogue be fictitious or not is of no importance, since in either case we must suppose it to furnish a true record of Justin's opinions and of the process by which he became a Christian. End quote. It's important, as we hear more of this book, to keep this fact in mind. It's not exactly a transcript of an ancient conversation, although I present it in different voices. It's also worth keeping in mind that, although Justin is a philosopher and a student of the scriptures, he isn't especially good at either. His arguments are rarely developed well, and he runs into all sorts of trouble with chronology and seemingly misquotes the Bible as Lamson documents. And out of kindness to Justin, and also to you, the listener, I've skipped some of Justin's goofier interpretations of the Bible and some of his stranger biblical arguments. Again, you can see Lamson for more of those. A link to the book is on the blog post for this podcast at trinities.org. So our character Trifo in this book is less stubborn than a learned 2nd century Jewish opponent would have been, Still, though he caves pretty quickly, he is made to say some straightforward objections. When we return, Trifo strikes back.
your statement that this Christ existed as a God before all ages and then consented to be born and become a man, yet that he is not of human origin, appears to me to not only be paradoxical, but preposterous. They who assert that he was of human origin and was chosen to be anointed and became the Christ propose a doctrine much more credible than yours. We Jews expect that Christ will be a man of human origin and that Elijah will come to anoint him. From the fact that Elijah has not yet come, I must declare that this man is not the Christ. About Elijah, of course, Justin answers, like Jesus in the Gospels, that this isn't to be taken literally. It was John the Baptist who was the promised Elijah, not the man Elijah himself returned from the dead. See, for instance, Matthew chapter 11. About Jesus' pre-existence, Justin stands firm, but he makes some very interesting concessions, and also what he doesn't say is of interest. Even if I fail to show that he pre-existed and consented to become a man with a body and feelings like our own, according to the will of the Father, only in this last regard could you rightly claim that I have been wrong. But you can't deny that he is the Christ, even though he is apparently of human origin and evidently became the Christ by the Father's choice. For, my friends, there are some of your race who acknowledge that he is the Christ, but claim that he has a merely human origin. I naturally disagree with such persons, nor would I agree with them even if the majority of those who share my opinions were to say so. This passage has intrigued a number of modern-era Unitarian authors. The famous English Unitarian John Biddle comments on this passage and several others from Justin in his 1648 book called <gasps> The Testimonies of Irenaeus Justin Martyr Tertullian Novatianus Theophilus Origen, who lived in the first two centuries after Christ was born or thereabouts, as also of Arnobius, Lactantius, Eusebius, Hilary, and Breitman, concerning that one God and the persons of the Holy Trinity, together with some observations on the same. Did I ever mention that in the early modern era they loved long book titles? Anyway, Biddle was very good at ancient Greek. He gives a bunch of extracts from Justin Martyr in Greek and gives his own translations. And after this passage, he comments as follows, quote, Observe here, Christian reader, 1. That Justin Martyr did not think it inconsistent that Jesus should be the Christ, although he had no other than a human nature. Secondly, that diverse Christians, whom Justin himself owned for such, for, he saith, that they were of the same kind and opinion with him, did then de facto affirm that Jesus, whom they counted the Christ, had none but a human nature both which were in the succeeding age by Athanasius and since by other like furious zealots stiffly denied, and he pronounced utterly incapable of eternal life who should not believe not only that Christ had another nature besides his human nature, but what neither Justin Martyr nor any other of the Christians who lived in the first two centuries and whose works are extant did ever affirm that that other nature was the very nature of the Most High God. Thirdly, that the Jews, who would be happy, were their opinion concerning the kingdom of Christ as true as that which they hold concerning his nature, did not believe that the Christ, who was to come, should be other than a man. End quote. And Scottish Unitarian William Christie, in his 1808 book, 
Dissertations on the Unity of God, says this about the passage. Quote, There are several important inferences that may be drawn from this passage. One, that the doctrine of Christ's divinity and pre-existence had at this period gained very little footing among Christians, if it was not the invention of Justin himself, for we do not find him appealing to former writers on the subject, or even to the general opinion of Christians in his time, but only to his own sense or interpretation of the scriptures, which appears from the nature of his comments to have been a very erroneous one. Two, the diffidence with which Justin expresses his own opinion and the doubt which he intimates whether he should be able to demonstrate that Christ pre-existed and his asserting that in case of a failure in his proof, the messiahship of Jesus would remain firm notwithstanding, are all indications that the doctrine of the divinity and pre-existence of the Messiah was at that time accounted a novel and very precarious opinion. 3. Though Justin does not expressly assert that the doctrine of the proper humanity of Christ was the prevailing opinion in his time, both among Jews and Gentiles, yet from his words he affords some room to conclude that this was the case. Quote, though the greatest part of them, or the majority, should say that they have been of the same opinion, quote, if Justin had been conscious that the majority of the Gentile Christians had been upon his side, he would no doubt have asserted the fact without the least hesitation, and ought to have done so. End quote. Was Justin's Christology then the widespread, the mainstream, most popular Christology around this middle of the second century? We really don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe it was an opinion of the minority of elites who were very concerned to reconcile Christianity with Greek and previous Jewish thinking about these things. For all we know, it was 10% of mainstream Christians who held views like Justin, or it was 80%. In any case, What's most interesting, I think, is that Justin makes the pre-existence and even the virgin birth to be important points, but not necessarily essential. In other words, he will consider you a Christian if you don't believe those things. Okay, but pre-existence is one thing, but eternal pre-existence is another, and being fully divine is yet another. When the Trinity's podcast continues, exactly what is Justin's Christology? Nearly all Christians, Justin holds that Jesus was a real man, although born from a virgin. His mother Mary was miraculously made pregnant by God himself. Justin repeatedly quotes a proof text that was popular with many later Catholic authors. This is Isaiah 53, 8. And does not the statement of Isaiah, who shall declare his generation, show that his origin is indescribable? Later authors quote this text to show that we can't understand the Father's eternal generation of the Son, but it seems that Justin is quoting it for a different reason. He repeatedly quotes this text, and he seems to have in mind Jesus' miraculous conception. 
His point is that Jesus is not a man of men. Jesus is not a human who came to be by ordinary reproduction. Although, like many of Justin's claims, it's not wholly clear what his point is. In any case, how does Justin Martyr think that Jesus relates to God? What would he say about, quote, the deity of Christ? As we heard in episode 74, Justin held that the Lord, or God, who appeared in ancient times to the Jews, was always the pre-human Jesus. And it was Jesus through whom God created the material world. In Justin's view, this is taught in Proverbs chapter 8, and in a few places in the New Testament. So we know that Justin taught the pre-existence of Jesus, that is, Jesus' existence before his conception, and so seemingly before he was a human being. But did Jesus, in Justin's view, eternally pre-exist? Also, did Justin firmly assert that Jesus was no creature, that he was not in any sense created by God, that he is, as some scholars like to say now, on the divine side of the creator-creature distinction? And was Jesus, as is now said, fully divine, that is, divine in the way that the Father himself is divine? Further, is Jesus, according to Justin, one-third of the tripersonal God? And did he teach Jesus to be the one God himself? The answer to all five of these questions is no. Here's what Justin says about Jesus' ancient origin. God has begotten of himself a certain rational power as a beginning before all creatures. The Holy Spirit indicates this power by various titles, sometimes the glory of the Lord, at other times Son, or Wisdom, or Angel, or God, or Lord, or Word. Indeed, he can lay claim to all these titles, from the fact both that he performs the Father's will, and that he was begotten by an act of the Father's will. When did God beget this rational power? Well, he never exactly says, but all the major interpreters have the impression that Justin means that this happened when it was time to create. So, a finite time ago, when God came to have need of an intermediary to create the physical world, that's the time in which the Logos comes to be. That is, as a God, as a second power, as a helper. And Justin says that he was begotten by God's will. God had a choice about this. This causing of the Son to exist was not forced somehow by God's perfection or by God's nature, as with some later Trinity theories. Rather, the Logos exists because God has willed, that is, chosen, that he should exist. So the Logos is not eternally pre-existent. And no, the Logos is not fully divine. The Logos is not divine in the way that the Father is divine. The Father doesn't exist by the will or choice of anyone, but Jesus, according to Justin, does. This just isn't the later doctrine of a mysterious, timeless generation of Son by Father, wherein the Father shares his divine nature or essence. As Justin says, Jesus is called Son, God, and Lord, not because he shares the divine nature or essence, but rather because he does God's will and owes his existence to God's will. His existence and life, then, are expressions of God's will. What Jesus says and does are guides to what God wants. Now, on both these points, Catholic apologists will point out that for Justin, the term logos is used not only for the pre-human Jesus, who dates to just before creation, but seemingly also for God's eternal reason or rationality. 
It's a divine attribute. Now, when the Logos is generated, does Justin imagine this to in some way be the transition of this uh, eternal attribute into something uh, that lives and works alongside God? In a manner of speaking, yes. Justin just was not concerned to have there be no time at which the Logos did not exist. Justin, by various analogies, makes the point that when the Logos, so to speak, comes out of God, nothing really has left God. God is just as he was before. So there is some kind of correspondence or mirroring between the eternal, unchanging Logos of God, God's rationality, and this second God that now comes to exist. Yes, there is a correspondence there. Yes, he may imagine that as the Logos sort of going outside of God, but also at the same time remain within God. Some people will read Justin as straight up holding the view that Jesus used to be a divine attribute. Well, he used to be only a divine attribute, and now he's also a person. I don't really see the need to attribute that kind of nonsense to Justin. We understand the claim that God is eternally rational, and we can understand the claim that God, in a sense, expresses this rationality by bringing into existence a helper who's also called the Logos of God. I don't think we have to attribute to him the view that a divine attribute becomes a divine person, which is to say, a God. Does Justin put the pre-human Jesus on the creator side or on the creature side? Well, again, he's just not obsessed with that question, as later Catholics became. At one point, Trifo is allowed to say that God made or created Christ, and Justin doesn't contradict him. Justin tends to not use that language. Certainly, Jesus, because he's the instrument of creation, he thinks is not a part, not a product or an effect of the Genesis 1 creation. That's right. But is Jesus the product of an earlier creation? Well, you can call it what you want to call it, but again, the view seems to be that a finite time ago, God gave existence, God brought into being Jesus. If you don't want to call that creation, then I guess you don't have to call it creation. Now, is Jesus, according to Justin Martyr, one-third of the tripersonal God? And does Justin Martyr teach Jesus to be the one God himself? When we come back, we'll hear from a well-known scholar who seems to say in a couple of places that that is what Justin thinks, that Jesus is the God of the Jews. Dr. Paula Fredrickson is well known for her work on early Christianity. She's an emeritus professor from Boston University and also a visiting professor of comparative religion at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. She's perhaps best known for her book, From Jesus to Christ, The Origins of the New Testament Images of Jesus. I've recently been working on the topic of monotheism, and I've read a couple of her pieces in connection with this. And she says some things about Justin Martyr that I think are a little bit confused or misleading. 
In a short 2003 piece called Gods and the One God, she kind of wants to lump together Justin with the famous Gnostic Valentinus and the unique case of Marcion. She says this, quote, Justin's Christian opponents, the Gnostic Valentinus and the theologian Marcion, share Justin's conviction that the God of the Bible, the God of the Jews, was not the high God. Valentinus and Marcion, however, held that this lower God opposed the high God and his son, the Christ. Justin argued that the lower God described in the Bible was the divine son, the Christ. His father, the high God, was unknown and unknowable until his son, the lower God, had revealed him. The Jews, being poor philosophers, Justin explained, just had not realized this. End quote. And in a 2006 article called Mandatory Retirement, Ideas in the Study of Christian Origins Whose Time Has Come to Go, Dr. Fredrickson says this, quote, All three theologians, and she's referring here to Valentinus, Marcion, and Justin, concurred that the busy God, described as making the material world in Genesis, ipso facto, could not be the high God. According to their philosophical principles, the high God does not create... He is instead radically stable because both perfect and changeless. The work of organizing matter was relegated to a lower deity, the Cosmocrator, the creator of the cosmos, or Demiurge, the craftsman. To anyone of decent philosophical education, that was clearly the figure described in the opening chapters of the Septuagint. In other words, in Genesis 1 and 2 in the Greek translation, Valentinus and Marcion both held that this lower deity, the Creator God, was the God of the Jews. He was also the opponent of Christ and of his Father, the High God. Justin also held that the heteros theos, the second God, of the Septuagint's Theophanies was properly the God of the Jews. Dialogue with Trypho, chapter 56. But Justin identified this God not as Christ's opponent, but rather as Christ himself. The Logos or Messenger, Angelos, of the High God, his Father. The role of the opponent passed to yet lower divine personalities, those fallen messengers who inspired pagan pantheons. All three theologians have one single High God, whom they see as uniquely revealed in Jesus. And all three envision a cosmos thick with multitudes of other divine personalities, to whom they refer as Theoi, gods. End quote. Now, the point that she's driving at is that in the ancient world, people we call monotheists believed in lots of other lesser divine beings as well. Yes, that's right. And she's also absolutely right that Justin distinguishes between the God who was seen in Old Testament theophanies and the highest God, whom he habitually refers to as the creator. Even though he thinks that the actual Getting your hands dirty creation was done by this lower deity, by the second god. About them, Justin famously says, Scripture declares that the Son was begotten of the Father before all creatures, and everybody will admit that the Son is numerically distinct from the Father. So the Father and Son, for Justin, they are numerically two. Two what? Two gods, which is to say two beings called God. They're not, for him, the same God. In the previous episode, we already talked about Justin's claim that all the theophanies, all the appearances of God in the Old Testament, 
he thinks, have got to be Jesus because they just couldn't be God. You can't see God. You can't experience God in any sense. So any quote God or quote Lord who is experienced must be another one than the Father. Now, Dr. Fredrickson agrees with the things I just said. The point I want to take issue with is where she says that the second God of the Septuagint's Theophanies was properly the God of the Jews. And again, in her earlier piece, she says the God of the Bible, the God of the Jews, was not the high God, according to Justin. And both times she refers to chapter 56 of the dialogue with Trypho. But this, I think, is a confusing statement. In one sense, it's right. In the other sense, it's demonstrably wrong. Here's the sense in which it's right. The, quote, God who interacted directly with the Jews, yes, that, according to Justin, is not the highest God. It's not the one true God. It's not Yahweh himself. It's another one called Yahweh. That's right. So the, quote, God with whom they interacted is Jesus. But the God of the Jews is the Father. Justin, of course, is reading the Gospels, and this is presumed everywhere in the Gospels, and also in the book of Acts. For instance, consider this speech of Peter in Acts chapter 3, spoken right after a miraculous healing. You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. That the God of the Jews is the one Jesus calls Father is not lost on Justin. In fact, in chapter 11, he explicitly says that the God of the Jews is also the God of the Christians, and that this is the Creator, the highest God. He says there's never been any other God except Him who created and formed this universe. Furthermore, we do not claim that our God is different from yours. For he is the God who, with a strong hand and outstretched arm, led your forefathers out of the land of Egypt. This, he says, is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. So the God of the Jews is the Father, but according to Justin, he has to reveal himself indirectly through the Son. That doesn't make the Son the God of the Jews. That makes the Son the one with whom the Jews directly interacted. He thinks they were mistaken in believing that they directly interacted with God and just didn't realize that this, quote, God they were dealing with was, in fact, representative of God. So what Justin has in common with Valentinus and Marcion is that all three of them think that the Jews directly interacted with someone other than the highest God. That's exactly right. But Justin does think that the highest God, Yahweh, the creator, the ultimate source of everything else, is the God of the Jews. That Valentinus and Marcion expressly deny. And that's why they're, in a sense, such a major deviation from mainstream Christianity of the second century or of any time. So his similarity to them is, in a way, superficial. Although, as she says, there is a shared philosophical heritage between the three of them. Again, she says all three theologians have one single high God whom they see as uniquely revealed in Jesus. Right, but when? 
Marcion, if I understand him, thinks that the true God, the highest God, wasn't revealed until New Testament times. That before that, it was just this lower down, rather somewhat bad God, the creator of the material world, who was interacting with the human race. And so literally, the Jews were worshiping a lower God. That's not what Justin thinks. Justin thinks that from ancient times, the highest God has through the second and lower God revealed himself. So again, there's a huge difference between Justin and Marcion. You could put it this way, for Marcion, there's a change of gods between the Old and New Testaments. For Justin, there isn't a change of gods. He's very clear about that. And the God who's been the ultimate object of worship all along in the Jewish tradition is the highest God. It's just through this intermediary. When we come back, we'll summarize what we've learned about Justin's Christology in this episode. Before we go then, let's sum up what Justin thinks about God and about Jesus. Justin does not think that Jesus is the one true God, that is, the highest God. Jesus is a God, but he's a different God than the highest God. He's called Yahweh, but he's a different being than Yahweh, if by Yahweh you mean the highest God. And as we've seen, Justin doesn't think that Jesus is one person within a tripersonal God, But there's no surprise there. There isn't any second century person who thinks that. Does he think that Jesus is fully divine? He's divine in that he is a God. He's one of the Theoi. In fact, he's the second greatest one. But he's not divine in the same sense that the Father is. He hasn't had the divine nature shared with him in a way so as to make him co-equal with the Father. Also, we've seen that he came into existence a finite time ago although this was the expression of God's eternal logos, his reason or rationality. Is Jesus a creation? Justin's not really concerned to say that he is or isn't, although he tends to not say that, because for him, the creation is that which comes about by the hand, so to speak, of the Son, and not any process of origination before that. In the next episode of the Trinity's podcast, We'll look at where Justin claims we can see Jesus at work in the Old Testament. Thanks for listening. We'll see you online at trinities.org. Till next time, don't forget to love God with all your mind.